And as we jump into Jacob, I want you to imagine yourself in the, the forest. And you're, you're looking at a path. But as it is in the forest, you can barely see beyond those trees in front of you. And this is our journey in life. I want you to symbolically see your journey. And most people, what they do is they take out a machete and they just go for it. And it makes sense. It's kind of a mindset that we have here. And so you take a machete and you just start trying to figure out your way through the forest. This is what most people do. But God says, I have a plan for your life. And it's still difficult to see it. But we have to trust him and the path in which he's leading us. And as we're doing this, I I want you to get this concept that the story of Jacob is much like the story of us and how we're trying to search for God's plan. And he's told us that he has us for purpose, that he has a plan for us, that he has promises for us. But many times we don't take that promise and we try and do it on our own. There's really two parts to Jacob's life. The first part, I call it the manipulator. And we all have two parts to our lives. I mean, I'm not the same person I was in high school and college. And I definitely am not the same person I was before I had kids. Kids changed everything. In fact, I mean, if people, people would probably be surprised that I'm a pastor. If someone from my high school or college years found out that I was a pastor, they'd probably be calling you and saying, you really should not have that guy as one of your pastors. And they'd be absolutely correct. In fact, I'd be like, you know what? You're right. You really shouldn't because I'm, I'm ashamed of some of that stuff. And so we grow in our relationship with Christ. We grow in our walk. And so when we look at Jacob's life, he's very different at the end than he was at the beginning. A lot like Abraham. And here's the difference. The difference is, we, we, the, these guys are in the hall of faith in Hebrews. These guys are known for their faith and their trust in God. But it takes them their entire life to finally trust God. The beginning, God says very early in their lives, you are my chosen one. I have a plan for you. But then they start hacking through the jungle and trying to do it on their own because they feel like they have to do it on their own until finally God hits them enough times and saying, I love you. And then they, they change everything. So the first part of Jacob's life is the manipulator, and it means to negotiate. He's, an, he's a great negotiator. It doesn't get him really far, but we'll see in a sec. Negotiate, control, or influence something or someone cleverly, skillfully, or deviously to falsify for one's own advantage. Now, we have to be careful because it's very easy to look at Jacob and say, man, this guy, how foolish. What a foolish thing to do. We have to be very careful because we know this manipulator mindset very well. We have something here called the American dream, and everyone is entitled towards the American dream in our heads. We're all entitled to go after this. And we even have this concept that it's, it's good that you have this entitlement in which if you work hard enough, if you push hard enough, that you have the freedom to go after it and do it on your own. And we love this. It's kind of the beauty of America is that anybody can come here. And if you push and work hard enough and, and, and get there, anyone can get there. And there might be bumps and, and difficult parts of it, but the opportunity is there. 
The problem with that opportunity is that we have this manipulation sort of way about it in that we are so entitled to it that we can do whatever we want to get there. And we can push to do this. And if we work hard enough and we do it on our own, we'll make it happen. And when we start to understand God in our life and that God says, I want to be Lord of your life, I want you to stop and listen to me and let me guide your life, it's very different from that American mindset of I can do it on my own. And those two clash heavily. It's, it's the struggle that I, I believe is why so many miss out on the blessings of God. Because we are taught from very early on that we can do it on our own. And if we push and go and go and go, we can get whatever we want. And we love that about America. But that's the very thing that's keeping us from sometimes knowing God's plan and what God wants to do with us. I'll give you an example all of the talk right now, well, if you listen to sports radio, all the talk right now is about PEDs. I'm on, I go home in Corona, so the 91 freeway gives me a lot of time to listen to the radio. It's really nice. It's a great joy. <laughs> and I hear for hours this talk of PEDs, which is um, performance-enhancing drugs. I, like, A-Rod just got suspended, or, or he's going to get suspended for a couple years because he's a cheater. But here's the thing about cheating, which I find so funny. The argument is not really about right and wrong. It's about, oh, he went a little too far. Because if you think about it, everybody's taking some drugs. I'm taking drugs when I go out and I take some Aleve because I can't get up in the morning because of my pain, and I want to play basketball with my friends, so I take some Aleve, and then I'm in more pain after. But that's just a part of it. It's called being old. These guys are shooting up stuff all the time just to get enough, what is it called, enough, uh, uh, you can't feel the pain just to play that day, and then they drop into ice baths. Well, why isn't that cheating? Because there's a line, and we draw this line in the sand that changes constantly of, well, that's too far. You can scout other teams, but you can't scout practice. You can recruit guys, and they're all cheating. We know they're cheating when they recruit, but you can't do certain things, but that's too far, sanctions. And so we have all these lines in which we get the idea of manipulation. Our politicians, we know they're stretching the truth. It's just if they stretch it too far, that's when we get angry. They're looking at the same facts. Lawyers do it. How can you look at the same situation and come up with two different conclusions? Well, it's all on how far you stretch it towards your client. And we're okay with that. We get that unless they go a little too far and then we're angry. That's wrong. Do you see what I'm saying? We know what manipulation is, and we use it in everything. So when we look at Jacob's life, be careful not to look at him without saying, okay, this applies to me. The first manipulation we come across is the birthright. The birthright is huge. And Esau is the firstborn. He's the one that he has the birthright. And Jacob, well, even though he is promised by God that he's going to be used for purpose, and it's going to be huge. He still feels like he has to do it on his own. So he makes this stew, and when Esau comes in from hunting, he's so hungry. He feels like he's about to die. And Jacob, in his great brotherly love, instead of helping out his brother, says, I'll tell you what, I will give you some stew if you sell me your birthright. I mean, that's a beautiful home scenario, right? It's awful, but before we get too mad at Jacob, God is so much madder at Esau 
so much. In fact, he calls him godless for selling his birthright because Esau says, what does it matter? I'm going to die anyway. Yeah, you can have it. God calls him godless. Why? The birthright at this time period is huge. It's something in which you are honored and given that your life is, has a purpose. The birthright would what we would be called purpose of today. So when we sell our birthright, meaning we give up on God's reason that he created us, the purpose that we are here, we are called godless, just as Esau is called godless in this moment. So we have to be careful who we're actually getting mad at, because Jacob, in all honesty, I mean, that's the worst brotherly move I've ever seen. Then he does another manipulation. We see this in the blessing. The blessing is when he goes into his father, Isaac, uh, actually, Isaac tells Esau, I'm going to give you my blessing. Another very important part of this culture. You're passing on the mantle of God's using you. It's this mantle of the father figure. It's huge. And so Rebecca, his wife, hears this and says, all right, Jacob, go get some goats out of our pen. I'll cook them up. You take it in. You get the blessing instead of Esau going out and hunting and then bringing it back. And Jacob's like, you know, I don't think that's going to work. I don't look like my brother, the hunter, the powerful, strong guy. I'm the cook. I'm the guy in the kitchen. Not that that's bad anyway, but I digress. All right. He goes in and he makes himself look all, he puts fur all over so he looks like his brother. Then he rubs meat all over his body, kind of a Lady Gaga moment, so he could go in there and smell like his brother. When he goes in, Isaac thinks something's up. But he doesn't quite know, and so he gives him the blessing. So here's a guy who's manipulated twice to get what he was already told that God was going to give him. And what did it get him? It got him this desert experience. He will spend the next 20 years basically running for his life. 20 years, I won't say it's wasted because God does some pretty cool things, but he goes the long way. Just like last week, when we try and do a shortcut, God says I'm going to use you. God says you're promised. But then we have to figure out on our own how to do it, and we try and find shortcuts that are not shortcuts in any way because it takes us to different destinations. How quickly we do this. His brother wants to kill him. He's running for his life. Can you relate to any of this? Difficult home environments that you're running from. A brotherly situation, trying to figure out what God wants, so you're taking the shortcut, and you're running, and you just feel like you're running and running and running. Here's the point. God tells us over and over, I love you. He says it constantly, I love you. And Jacob has this voice in his head, just as we have this voice in, his, in our heads that say, I love you. And that's from God. But that voice is overshadowed by our own voice, that says, I'm not good enough, and I have to do something on my own. And the manipulation, the deviousness, all this stuff comes into play because we think, for some reason, we have to earn the love from God. It's not just given. And we're told over and over, I love you because I created you, and I created you as a masterpiece, and I have a purpose for your life. And we say, yes, but I probably have to earn that in some way. And we try and figure out the angle in which we're supposed to be earning this gift. And this is where we find ourselves. As this story continues, Jacob, as he's running through the desert, stops. And he lays his head on a rock, and he goes to sleep. 
And when he goes to sleep, God gives him a dream. It's the dream, it's a very famous dream called Jacob's Ladder, in which Jacob sees this ladder in which the angels are going up and down. And God says to him, like Abraham looked to the stars in the sky, and I told him that he would have descendants and his greatness would be as great as the universe above him. I want you to look down at the dust and all the dust that you see, you will be even greater in numbers. You will be even greater in blessings. And this ladder that you see of angels, that are your prayers going up to me and my blessings coming back to you. Could it be any clearer? Apparently, yes, because Jacob wakes up and says, wow, what a great rock. And he builds this pillar and says, God, this land, man, thank goodness I slept here instead of over there. Because if I had slept over there somewhere, I would have missed out on what you, you, you told me. How foolish we are to take a moment in which God says, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then he says, that's awesome. How do I earn it? In fact, God, everything that you bless me with, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you 10% of all of that back to you. That's his response. What a weird response. I can't believe he says that. Well, I mean, it's just silly, right? Do you guys, you guys see that? And before we get really, really, really like mad at Jacob, we have trouble with saying that. God says, I love you. I'll bless you. I'll take care of you. And we say, you know, 10% is kind of difficult. I don't know if I can give you 10%. Um, I'll get there. We have trouble with that. And this is a foolish thing to say. How far away we get from God just saying, I love you. I love you. And we say, okay, how do I earn this? We need to stay focused. As this story goes on, he falls in love. Now, love should be simple, right? I mean, it's complicated sometimes for some people. But in the general, love is pretty simple. You fall in love, it's a beautiful thing, and great things happen. And birds are chirping and all that. It's just awesome. But not for Jacob. No, he falls in love with Rachel. And in this culture, the oldest daughter has to be married first. Well, he can't accept that, and so he works out a plan with Laban. And he says to Laban, all right, I understand your culture, but here's what we're going to do. And they work this manipulation plan. They're both actually manipulators. And so he works for seven years. The wedding day comes. He's ready to take Rachel. Another cultural thing you have to know is they wore veils through the whole wedding and the wedding night. You woke up with your new bride. Well, he wakes up with a new bride, but it's the older daughter, the one he did not work for. Well, apparently he did work for. And it's, it's Leah. And he's a little bit angry with that, as I think some of us might be. And he goes to Laban and says, what have you done to me? And Laban said, I told you, it's our culture. The oldest one has to be married. And I kind of think in his mindset, he thought in seven years, the oldest one would be married. Like he wasn't trying to do it this way. But in the end, the manipulator had been manipulated by somebody else, which is kind of common. But he comes back to him and he says, all right, you can have Rachel right now. You go ahead, you marry her too, and then work seven more years for her. Fourteen years. He's in this desert running from difficult home environment to gain a difficult home environment. Isn't that 
Isn't that just the norm? When we start running from issues and problems and trying to do it our own way, we end up coming into things that are almost the same over and over again. Amen? Then they have kids. That should be easy, right? Nope. So Leah and Rachel have this competition. Who can have the most kids? This sounds fun. And so they just keep having kids so that Jacob will love that family more than the other family. And it's just, oh, you just look at this and you go, man, this guy is down this path. And then with his business, he again working out deals, working with Laban and says, all right, I will take all the spotted flock and you take all the good flock. And so in his head, he says, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut a piece of cane in half and it'll have spots on it. I'm going to put that where the flocks are getting together. And when they have kids, because they see that, they'll be spotted. Now, scientists say there's nothing actually scientific about that. In fact, nobody even knows what he was doing, because that is ridiculous. But the, most of the flock comes out spotted. So here is a man. He was told he would be blessed by God, and he is blessed. But what does he do? My Cain idea. My Cain idea was why. I, I made this happen. You see how this works over and over again? Here's the point. First of all, manipulators are the most likely to be manipulated. They fall victim of other manipulators. In our current society, we call it the curse of the con man. When you're a con man, you find that you fall into other people's cons because you're always looking for your own angle while someone's working an angle on you. So we have to be very careful when we go down this path. The second thing is manipulators are often trapped by their own schemes. Everything that Jacob ran from, he finds himself in and more. I mean, yeah. And the third thing, manipulators often take the credit that is the Lord's. And here, I think, is the most important one. Because God told him, I will bless you. I will take care of you. But because he continues to try and earn it and do it on his own, when the blessings come, he never can give it back to the Lord because it's always about something that he did. How often we do this. I picked the right job. I picked the right place at the right time. I happened to be in that right spot at that moment. And instead of saying, God, thank you for blessing me in this moment, we think, oh, I'm so glad I picked that way. I'm so glad I did that. We take that own credit for this. And as we're walking in this journey, we continue to hack our way through, thinking there's something that we have to do. When God's up there saying, I love you. I wish you would listen. I love you. Now, there's a happy ending, and the story switches. And we get to the part in which Jacob is a child of God. And he starts to realize, wait a minute. I'm a child of God. And God shows him the dream again and says, do you remember the dream at the rock? I don't know how he forgot the dream at the rock, but somehow he did, probably with the women and the children thing. But here he is, and he says, oh, yeah, God's going to bless me. But he's still struggling with his past because what he does next is he secretly gets all of his, his kids, all of his flocks and his wives, and he sneaks away from Laban because even though God says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to take care of you, he thinks he has to somehow, again, do it on his own and secretly sneak away. And Laban hears about this in three days later, and he's angry. I mean, not only are all of his flocks gone, but his grandkids and his, his daughters yeah, 
He's angry, and he takes off towards him. But God comes to him and says, don't say anything bad to Jacob, because he is my chosen one. But don't say anything good to him, because, man, the guy doesn't seem to understand. He doesn't quite get it, and I'm going to have a little conversation of my own with him really soon. That's not what the verses say at all, but it's really similar to that. You can read it on your own. But he sa- and when he says this to Jacob, when he catches him, Jacob goes, I don't know why I keep missing it. God loves me, and the change is happening. But God has to talk to him a little bit more. In chapter 32, we see the wrestling with God moment. It's called a theophany. It's when Jesus or God comes in human form. Most people think it's Jesus there because Jesus usually deals in human lives and human situations instead of the God or the Holy Spirit. And so as you're looking at this, you see this moment in which Jesus comes or God comes and needs to give a healing to Jacob. We see a lot of healings happen later in, in different forms, but the healing here is the heart. Because Jacob, although he's chosen, doesn't seem to understand what that means. And so God needs to get him to understand. And so they begin this wrestling match. And as you look at this wrestling match, I want you to figure out where you are in the story. Because the first part is, are you still in in this, this state of fear? Think about all the things Jacob feared. He feared his for his life. He feared from his brother. He feared that he would be taken advantage of. He feared that he had to make it happen on his own. He even feared when God showed him where to go. He feared God's plan because he snuck away, fearing that something was going to happen to him. He has fear in every decision. Some of you need to give those fears over to God and say, God, this is what I'm struggling with. This is why I'm so hesitant to follow your plan and I keep trying to do it on my own. When you go into that, that, this wrestling part, some of you need to just admit that you are wrestling with God. In this wrestling, whether it's high school or college, uh, wrestling is all about who's on top, who has the advantage. It's a point system in which who's gaining the position on top. And so the imagery here is he's wrestling with God. He's not wrestling with Satan He's not wrestling with sin. He's not even wrestling with the world and all that it's coming against him. He's not wrestling with self-will. He's wrestling with God. And so if you look at wrestling, it's about who's on top, who is winning. And the wrestling match is God wants to have control and be Lord of our lives, but I can't quite release that. And so I'm wrestling to try and gain a little bit of my own self in there to get on top. And at some point, you want to let God win this. You want to say, God, you win. You are on top. And I trust in your plan for my life. And it took Jacob so long. And the way that God heals Jacob is by giving him a limp. And for some of us, we might need this limp. The thing about it is Jacob is forever changed. In chapter 33, we see him offer Esau all his, all his stuff. That's a very different person than the one at the beginning. In chapter 35, we see God rename him Israel. And when he renames him, he renames him because you are a different person. You're not the same person as the beginning. And so now I can continue to use you. But that limp he has for the rest of his life. 
I kind of hope I hear God before he has to give me a limp. Because this point was, I want you in every step to remember who's in control and trust me. And it's really good because Jacob does in every step remember that God is in control. And it changes his life. And he can spend eternity with God because of this limp. Some of us need to say, God, I think you need to give me a limp. That's a very dangerous thing to say. But the reason you would say is because I am so hard-headed I continue to hear sermon after sermon, and yet I can't seem to apply it to my life. My life, I continue to try and do it my own way. And God, I want to spend eternity with you, so if it takes a limp, then I'll take it. I really hope we don't have to go that far. But for many of us, that may be exactly what we need. Where are you in this story? Every one of these stories, whether they're from the beginning or the stories you're hearing of today, It's about you and your story of purpose. Where are you? Where does God need to move you to grow and understand his purpose for your plan? Let's pray. God, we are are blessed by your word, your stories. God, I pray that they would resonate so deep within us that we would leave this place changed, that we would see our lives being your hands and feet of what you're doing in this world. God, use us in your purpose. Use our lives. God, we give you ourselves completely. In Jesus' name, amen.